the Ryan Rosillo Podcast. My name is Ryan. I'm the host. Uh, excited about today because we have a different kind of guest, and it's Max Greenfield, actor. Uh, you may know him from New Girl. Also, he was in The Big Short. He played one of the mortgage brokers who I loved his character in it. Um, he's also in The Neighborhood. So we're a lot of fun on this one. So we're looking forward to doing that. A little life advice, and we'll talk about hoop sort of at the top. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, life advice, Max Greenfield. And then as far as an open for this week, Simmons and I emptied the entire cabinet out NBA wise. Um, so it's, it's a little tough for the turnaround. So I'm going to do a big quarterback changeover thing on Friday. And, you know, Bill and I, I think went for two and a half hours. We also have Kyle checking in uh, here. Kyle, people are worried about you. They're worried about the microphone setup. Is the microphone setup situated? Because we didn't touch on this ahead of time, but there's just a lot of Kyle fans out there and they want to check in with you. So where are we at right now, audio wise? Not, not only is the microphone set up, the office is set up, which is just. It's uh, night and day. Like I'm turning my camera on now in meetings. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's goddamn incredible. Yeah, Kyle's not a big. He does not share video on Zoom. He does not want you. I mean, it was just like squalor on. for the longest time, and now it's not. So that's awesome. Yeah, I saw a bedroom the other day. Just young guys' bedrooms. I forgot what that was like, so I'm not being critical of any of it. But well, I, I I'm saw on Zoom all the time, and I and everyone else shows their office. I mean, your yours actually is the most modest that I've seen. But most people are like, yeah, they got their corner set up, they got this, and then there's just like my dimly lit bedroom, and there's a laundry room outside in my old place. So this is like, this is this is awesome. I'm proud. That's great. Yeah, I, I wish maybe we could post a picture of it. Can we post a picture of your office on my Twitter oh, feed? A we little totally bit later? could. Yeah, yeah. Let yeah. me get the pictures on the wall and then we'll do it. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Let's, because uh, people are going to be excited about that. A lot of people are going to be excited. Yeah, people freaked out about my setup here. They're really worried. They think I live in a jail cell. I know there's a joke there somewhere, but uh, I don't. I just, this is one of the uh, the rooms that we set up this way. Japanese minimalist over here. We don't like clutter. <laughs> and I don't put up anything on the walls. I was so convinced the first house I moved into out here, I was like, I'm not going to be here long. And I didn't know which way it was going to go. You know, I was like, there's a pretty good chance <laughs> you're going to be told you, you actually can't live in this house anymore. And so I didn't put up anything. And I don't know what's going on with uh, the, the renters. I mean, I guess I'd probably check in at some point and be like, are people just hanging up stuff at my house now? Because people like doing that. Kids like doing that, right? People like to hang up stuff. They like are to hang up posters. Are you not supposed to? I'm actually wondering. I guess I'm in an apartment, but it's still like the same sort of 
tenant landlord situation. Like you'd be mad if people did like normal stuff. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying I'm looking for studs to hang a 50 pound mirror, but like, uh, yeah, that would be, that would be problematic. Like if you're just putting in bolts into the wall to hang up some kind of stuff. I mean, I had, I had another place that somebody was, uh, you know, years ago when I was running out something and they like, can we paint an accent wall? I was like, you, you can, but I mean, you realize like it's coming out of your deposit, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I actually, you know, wasn't, wasn't harsh about it. Cause I remember all the years with the security deposit and just going, oh, I'm going to get screwed over on this. Like no matter what, when you're younger, the young ones out there, the old ones that live those days, you just know whatever your rent is and the first and last and all that stuff that most, I, I, it was an experience that I had. It was just like, oh yeah. And we're losing the security deposit. And I'll be honest, if I'm being accountable here, which I think people have a hard time doing, I deserve to lose some of the security deposits early on. But the one that bothered me the most is we rented out a house on Martha's Vineyard. It was my first grown-up deal. We were going to do in a week there. Um, shocker, I wouldn't let my girlfriend and her friends come. And it was like a guy's weekend. And that was, uh, don't do that. If you have a serious girlfriend, they're not thrilled when they find out like, no, hey. But I always wanted to do that. I always wanted to do a you know, living there in the summer and, and going to high school there and have my family be from there. I go, I can't wait to one day have a house with my buddies and do the summer thing. And we couldn't do the summer thing. Cause we were, you know, we, we were talking like mid twenties, maybe around that stage. And we rented out this house. It wasn't sick. It did have a hot tub NBD. And we made a deal where it was going to be like five or six guys, like five or six guys got together and all the girlfriends got really pissed about it. I think there was even a wife in there with one of the other guys. And we didn't really, you know, we didn't throw a party. You know, look, I mean, we we're getting after it. We were kidding, but we weren't out of control. We were a little bit older. There was a guy that I think was even 30 that was in the mix. Yeah, actually, there was a guy that was north of 30, but he's from Europe and he smoked cigarettes. But they're good for you, I think, if you're from Europe. So I'm not quite sure what the science is on that <laughs> one. But you know, we leave. And then, of course, you get a call from the booking agent who does the summer rentals and She's like, oh, the homeowner is in hysterics. I'm like, are you kidding? That's the nicest I've ever cleaned anything. I'm like, we didn't even go out the last two nights because guys, guys were just defeated. And we actually wanted to leave early. And um, she's like, no, you broke this couch. You broke this couch and it's the frame is destroyed. Did you jump on it? And I'm like, no, like that couch sucks. Nobody, nobody slept on it. Nobody wanted to deal with it. It's a trick couch. Trick couch. <laughs> trick couch. So they had this thing where they could like take the frame apart and then have the realtor look at it and be like, oh, it's split right down the middle. And then they would put it back together and then take the next renter's deposit. And that was something people would do with these summer rental places. So I didn't, I was, I was naive to the ways of the security deposits. So um, yeah, back to my place. I mean, I guess I, I could probably put something up because the security deposit isn't really in play because I live here, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm fussy about that. That's another thing. We had a text thread going the other day, Kyle, maybe you can help us out with this too. The growth in your wall art, like where you go from, okay, take down the Conseco Mark McGuire poster. Um, I'm trying to think for, for younger people. Well, Iverson's still too old for you, but like, okay, what's the last athlete poster you had up, Kyle? Uh, I've got a, a bunch of Super Bowl wins on like the, the scene from the, <laughs> from the, like the clock hitting zero, uh, the thing. So I've got a couple of those ones still, right? Yeah. Yeah. Still, still. Okay. Right. I mean, you're still, well, how old are you again? 27. I got 27. Butler interception. That's okay. Good, that's a good uh, a frame there. But what I'm telling you is your next place, and I know you just moved, but your next place, you add a couple of years to that to that license. 
you're going to start thinking about frame stuff and you're right. going to start saying, hey, do I really want Pat's posters up? Now, if you want to ride it out until you're 45, all the respect in the world to you. All, so, all sorts of respect. Keep doing it. Maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll just go backwards and start putting up some posters. I had a Wayman Tisdale one I really liked from Sports Illustrated when I was a kid. Um, we had a lot of St. John stuff back in the room. But then the first thing that I thought was mature is I bought a Miles Davis kind of blue poster <laughs> and then I framed it but I framed it not at like a frame place I bought a frame that was close to fitting maybe it was from Ames the TJ I'm Max not sure frame. yeah like the frame cost 15 bucks and the poster cost more than seven so I was like this is pretty nice this is pretty nice and then it's just <laughs> you know if you're into jazz you want people to know that you like jazz I think that's half of liking jazz and uh i'm like this is gonna be this is gonna be tight and then of course you hang it up and the frame's such a piece of shit that it's already bent and like hanging from the thumbtack that it's on so it's not even lined up perfectly and it just looks stupid and it's not plexiglass it's like thin thin plastic and that was the i think the last thing i bought a couple pieces but nothing uh nothing like that whatever i've bought now i'm just like okay this is supposed to be nice and cool and i'll see it like stuff on the walls in other rooms of your house not a ton, man. Not a ton. I'm not going to lie to you. I hung up nothing at the other house. Nothing. Zero. And so I have a couple pieces that are up, but, you know, then I'll see something really nice and I'll go, should I do that? And I'm like, God, it's so expensive. I don't want to do that. So there you go. And I'm not, you know, trying to sound cool about it, but there's some dudes out there that buy some art. You'd be surprised about some of the guys and their art purchases and some of the stuff that they'll buy because they just start making money where they're like, yeah, I guess I'm supposed to buy this stuff. That's what happens with art. I'm not in that world. I don't know how it works. I'm just telling you. Can't wait, though, one day. Who knows? I don't know how I'm going to transition to the NBA. But, yeah, if you want all the NBA stuff, check out the Simmons pod the other day. But a lot of people were asking, like, how come you guys didn't say anything about Kyrie Irving? How come you two guys didn't say anything about Kyrie Irving? Um, When it comes to the Kyrie topic, I think there are two groups. There are groups with sources that are reluctant to talk too much about it because we don't know where the end game is here. We don't know where he's at mentally. We don't know where he's at as far as what his goals are. His goals don't seem to be basketball at this time. And until we know more about it, like I'm not going to be comfortable just going, I can't believe this guy's not showing up to work. That's not defending him. That's not defending him because I think there's another group that doesn't have sources that are that are trashing Kyrie or saying, Hey, it's been a tough year. If he needs a break, he should be able to take a break. I'm like, okay. Um, I don't want to trash him on the podcast, but I'm definitely not going to also say, Hey, you know, whatever a person needs, he's a human being because that's kind of ridiculous. Like you can be going through some stuff, but eventually your employer is going to go, hey, dude, you ever feel like showing up? So whether it's the video where he was a Drake, but we're not sure. And then a, a birthday party where it looked like there was a lot of people not social distancing and not wearing masks. And then the Zoom call one where his his name was Kai uh, with a progressive leader. I don't know what any of this stuff means other than I'm not comfortable until we know um, of being very critical of him. Because I'm also not going to sit here and say, yeah, man, whatever he needs, that's cool. That's totally cool. But this was why, you know, so many Nets fans were like, oh, it's just bitter Boston fans. It's bitter Boston fans. Like, no, Boston's thrilled he's not there anymore. All right. That was the most unlikable team that I've watched. And I think most of you guys know, like, I'm not super crazy Celtics guy anymore. But I still like the team, and I like being able to talk with my family and friends from back there about the team. And I like and care about a lot of people that work with the team or around the team, you know, that, that have been there a really long time. Like, those people are people I've I've known for, for a long time and have always been really cool to me, and that means a lot. So it does feel like kind of going home every now and then when I go back to a game there. But 
the the Kyrie part of it, um, it, it wasn't it was never bitterness. It was just like, hey, you know, how long is this gonna? How long is it gonna go where it's smooth? And I think even the the worst projections were, yeah, you know, it'll probably be good for a year, and then we'll see what happens to playoffs if they come up short. Is there gonna be some turmoil there? And you have to. If you're Durant and you're being honest with yourself, and you're talking to the people that are closest to you, you have to have some moments of being like, wait a minute, why did I do this? Why did I, like, did I really know what I was doing here? Like, did I, it was, he basically did an impulse buy of a teammate for the next three to four years, which is really strange because I'm not saying like, you know, Durant could have been upset about the Steph's team, Steph's team. Well, dude, you went there after they won. It was always going to be Steph's team, even though you're the better player. But to then go, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do it on my own again after I got my rings there. It's like, all right, fine. I get it. And I can understand things without agreeing. But to then go, all right, Kyrie's the guy that I want to bank on. Um, you know, even if this is the part of it where the Kyrie story ends up becoming, hey, he's just not that into basketball or whatever, and you're sympathetic to him, which I think is still even a possibility. But as far as the dedication and commitment to a team, I mean, that's still actually kind of important. That's still part of this process here. And I think that's the thing that I keep coming back to. Like, why would Durant have picked Kyrie of all the guys that he could have played with? This is what he did. And now here we are. And we have no idea when this story is going to end. And I think some people are, are like, are just, you know, like, hey, um, I think some people are worried about him, to be honest with you, more than they're even mad at him. So that's uh, that's probably as comfortable as I am about talking about it. And, you know, I, I would hate to be in a position where, you know, I'm just, I'm just crushing him and I'm super negative about him. And no, we don't know. We don't know what's going on. So, uh, there's that again, check out the Simmons podcast from yesterday. Uh, I also did one with Chris Long and big cat from, uh, from this week. So that yesterday was a busy, busy day. All right, let's do this. This is going to be really cool. Max Greenfield coming up. This episode is supported by state farm. So look, a little rock. Hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it'd been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season? Throw in a little... Something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. 
food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Our next guest, um, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm excited about this one. It's Max Greenfield. You probably know him from New Girl, The Neighborhood. He plays one of the greatest all-time roles ever in The Big Short, The Mortgage. I was like, <laughs> is that guy exist? I was like, I don't know. I kind of felt bad. I was like, I think I like that guy. I was like, that's amazing. They got these real mortgage brokers in the movie. I'm like, McKay's amazing anyway. Um, but no, that's not really who he is. Although I bet you some people wonder, you know, as successful as he's been. So let's do all that stuff. Let's do all that. What's up, man? Thanks a lot for doing this. Um, look, I can do 45 minutes on the big short if you want. And, and the, the 12 lines that we added out. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, we had a stretch where it was just like, I want to vote. And then, you know, other guys would be like, you know, I'm, I'm a numbers guy, you know, yeah. you're just like, what? And it just, it was perfect because I try to say on this podcast a lot, especially to like younger people where they'll go, well, what about this? What about this? I go, you know, the big secret of life a lot of times is that you, as you get a little bit older and you get a bit more aligned with like what it is you're pursuing, you start to become less impressed with everything around you. And you start to realize like a lot of this is just sort of bullshit. So you can pretend you're some hero and reject it, or you can just sort of figure out like how you fit in. And the mortgage part speaks to that perfectly because I had friends that were on the different sides of the financial world that would hate realtors and hate mortgage people because they're like, these fucking idiots are having a parade for themselves while all they're doing is scamming everybody. So you guys nailed the role. Well, it was ridiculous. Um, it's was, it was a really funny story. Uh, first of all, I did more research on those three pages of that movie than I've done for any role that I've ever been in. <laughs> Um, did I you st- no- did you get to South Beach early and you were like, is there any mortgage convention I can hang out? <laughs> I didn't. Even, I mean, at that point, I was like, what's what's a mortgage? Um, <laughs> I just didn't understand that world at all. Okay. And so to read Michael Lewis's book and to read the script and to sort of like have a real understanding of what that dialogue was was intense. And and so they, we were sort of were asked to improv at points during that scene. And I was like, I can't go outside of what you've given us here. And I think I was like, it's really well written, man. Let's not go too far out. And McKay at some point was like, talk about how you went to a Dave Matthews band concert. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what is happening? Um, <laughs> McKay's just going like, let me check the douche. He's the, great, he's the greatest, man. He, he's I unbelievable. In, yeah, right. First of all, they sent me that script and they were like, hey, Adam wants to meet you for uh, for this movie. And I thought, does, is, like, does he know who I am? Is this, does he have the wrong person? Because I thought there's no way. At that point, you know, the cast was like Ryan Gosling and all these guys. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to like, this is ridiculous. So then I took the time to read the script and the book, which for me was a heavy lift. And then, <laughs> uh, and then, so I get in there and it was really exciting because to me, like one of the things I love so much about our industry, but anybody's industry is when you get a guy who's known for doing one thing, who then does something totally different. So for McKay, who had done all of these comedies and done them so brilliantly, to really shift. And we all, and like everybody who knew Adam knew how brilliant he was. And to see him shift in this direction was really, really exciting. And the script was wonderful. And then I'm in his office, like I'm in the waiting room and they call me in. And I remember like thinking as I was about to go in, I was like, man, you know, I'm really excited about this. I'm going to express my excitement to him. And if he gives me like one of these, 
yeah, man, thanks. I'm like, happy you enjoyed the script. I was like, I'm fucking quitting. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is dog shit. Everybody sucks. So, <laughs> so I walk in and I was just like, hey, I, this is really exciting. I love this script. I love what you're doing with it. Um, and he like totally engaged and then for an hour talked about how awesome and exciting it was and explained everything that I needed to know about it. Um, and I originally was supposed to read for like one of Carell's guys. Um, cause he has that crew. Of like yeah. Right. Guys. Right. And they're all based on real people. I, I think to some degree. Yes, they and, are. Yeah. And having read like all those parts, I was like, you know, I'm not really right for any one of these guys. And at that point you're like, you know who you're auditioning with and you know, like the pool of people or the pool of actors that exists. And you go, there's a lot of really good people, much better than me for these specific roles. So I go, I, I know you want me to read one of these guys. Um, I'm not interested. I, I go, what, um, do you have anybody in mind for, and at that point they didn't even have names. It was just the color of their suits. And I was like, do you have anybody in mind for maroon and black? And, and they both start laughing. Everybody in the room starts laughing. And I was like, I got a real handle on, this, on these guys. I go, let me just, like, I, I don't know if you have the sides or anything. I don't know if you want me to read it. But if you give me a pair of Oakleys and let them put me on the, like, let me put them on the back of my head. I think, like, like just let them rest there. All I got to do is sort of read the dialogue. And then they got really excited. And McKay started laughing. And everybody in the room started having a good time. And then, you know, like a couple of weeks later, they were like, we'll see you in New Orleans. Wow. So you actually, all right, there's, I've, I don't want to, this is exactly like you said, like I'm almost thrown off here because now I'm so fascinated just about that part of it where there's more lines with all of those other roles, like Carell's whole crew with that fun. Like that's a, that's a recurring character. You have this moment, although you guys crush it in that moment, but you, I would almost think like actors, you'd be competitive and you'd be like, well, I don't want to just be a part. Like I want a major role. I want one. Like if I'm not going to be Carell or Gosling or whatever, or I'm not going to be Bale. I can be in this other one that has more lines. You actually looked at the entire people and said, even though I'm here to read for this, I don't even want to do that, but I want to be one of these mortgage brokers. Yeah. I mean, it's specifically with a movie like that, you're like, I just want to be in this movie. This movie is going to be great. I want to be a part of it. And I just knew that, like, I, I'm like, I, I'm not going to get one of these, one of these, I'm not ripe for it. I, I think a lot of the times it's helpful to put yourself in the position you go, well, which I'll never be in, which is if I were directing this movie. And if I were directing the movie, I wouldn't put me in any one of those roles. I go, I might put me... <laughs> As but I'm just surprised because no one would ever, I'm just, I would almost think you guys are so egotistical that you would never read the script and be like, no, nah, I can't do that. Or I'm not right there. Like you're admitting to this. This is the opposite of the athlete that every quarterback that got cut or every kid that didn't play in college is blaming some high school coach that fucked them over. And you're like, no, it's just not me. Like I couldn't, like you could have done one of those guys. And that, that surprises me. Yeah, I could have, but I, 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 I probably could have done it. I don't think anyone would have let me do it. Right. So you knew uh, you just this gives me a better chance. Yeah, and right. I and and personally, I just thought. And if look, if there wasn't another role in there that I thought that I could really get a hook on or do, I would have happily read the you know the audition sides for one of those guys. But I was like, those guys, I get. 
That was perfect. And here we are. I mean, I started the interview with it and I, I'm not even going to get to some of the other stuff that wasn't as clever as this. So I'm good. Good start. You're doing me a favor here. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned quitting. And in the piece that I saw about your timeline of your career, now you're 40 now. You're from you're from upstate New York. Yeah. Is that OK? And. You know, when you look through it, it goes, OK, high school and then L.A. And then here you are before the new girl and you've admitted I'm going to quit. So I don't know. Is this a real packed your bags, I'm out of here, and then you get the new girl role of Schmidt? Or was there another tier of, I'm going to quit? I mean, is this something you do, or is this a reality where you go, hey, I'm heading back east? Well, there was, a never, there was never a head back east. My folks had moved from New York to LA when I was 18. I did a, I did a year in Wisconsin uh, University. Of, so Madison, uh, you were at in, Madison. In Madison, uh, we call that the forgotten year. Um, <laughs> why because the place is so much fun or because you had I don't just, remember <laughs> I don't remember Ryan. I don't remember the place is awesome okay. I guess so you know <laughs> you know I went back recently um, we could do another 45 on uh, on CrossFit but I went back for the CrossFit games because I have some friends there and I really wanted to see it and because the last two years they've held it in Madison and so I went there and it had been 20 years since I'd had my, the dark year. And, uh, and I went back and I was like, man, I'm really curious to see like what this place looks like and what the perspective is now. And, uh, <laughs> and I got there and I remember when I first got there as like an 18 year old kid who's a freshman in college, I'm like, man, oh man, there's the Capitol building. This place is huge. This is so overwhelming. Look at all these people. I got there this time. I was like, it's two streets. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I thought Vermont was too big for me the first month I was there. Oh my I'm god. Like, I'm like, man, I went to way too big of a school. I'm like, you really I also, yeah. yeah. I also was like, man, this place is really beautiful. I I I fucked up a real opportunity here. <laughs> so, so does Wisconsin reach out to you? Because UVM no, would they reach don't. see they don't. Wisconsin probably just has more bodies, so they don't pay as much attention to it because Ben Affleck was at UVM the year before I got there. And then he was like, all right, I'm out of here. I don't need this. Um, and it's freezing. And they would kind of proudly mention that Affleck was a student there. And you're like, he was here. I don't even know if he made it a full year. He might have been a semester and then goes and makes Goodwill Hunting. And then I ran into him. The first time I ever visited L.A., I ran into him. It was in a bathroom of a place. And I was like, oh, hey, man, I went to UV. And he was like, fuck off. <laughs> just like, not interested, dude. That was your, that was no. your, that was your opener? I'd like, hey man, if I ever run into Affleck, yeah. you know, I love all his movies. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're alumni, man. Yeah, Mass Kids, UVM. I'm like, no, I have this great story about the theater department there. You go, well, hold on, That's hold a- on, tell J Lo to ha- hold on. J Lo, we'll be right there. Ben, <laughs> <laughs> he just well, was UVM great. Alum. UVM alum. What's your name? Again? Oh, Ryan. He's a U- he went to UVM too. Oh man, hold on. Let's stop everything. <laughs> it's such a what's loser your, what's move. What's going on, man? Do you have a spec? Do you, a, do you have a script, anything? Yeah, I'd be like, I've been kicking around this idea for a couple of years. Let me just throw you, what are you, in Hotmail? So I <laughs> I do have a story that I might tell you a little bit later about the business that I really want to share with you based on some of the research. Okay, so there was never quitting. There was never quitting to the sense of, no, oh, so I shouldn't I say it that way. We had a dark year in Wisconsin. Dark year. Uh, okay, that's good. Hey, it was only one year. That's pretty good, really, you know? Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> Congrats. Thanks. I appreciate it. Look, I think... The good news, the, the positive outlook on it is that I didn't push it any further. Like I knew this was not the place for me. And by 
place. I meant college in general. And then I came out to LA where my parents now lived. And, uh, and I had always sort of wanted to, to get into acting and it just felt like way more uh, realistic. Even though I was from New York, for whatever reason, it felt very far away there. And in LA, it felt like something that people were doing. Um, and so I did that for, you know, auditioned into classes and, and, and it, nothing worked for quite a long time. Um, probably about a decade. Um, and there were like little things here and there, but it just never clicked. And then, uh, my wife and I had our first child. And at that point, like, I just didn't want to be the guy who was like showing up to auditions with, you know, a car seat and being like, Hey, I'm just going to put the baby down here. Um, so I was like, fuck this. I'm not doing this anymore. This all feels selfish. Like, I don't know what I'm chasing anymore. Let's try to figure something else out. Um, there were, I didn't have a plan B at all. Uh, were people starting to pitch you on like pharmaceuticals can be really good. And you no, know, if you I, start, I had, you, you didn't even have that. No one, no, there, <laughs> there was nobody. I mean, with, with the dark year in Wisconsin, there was not a lot of people banging on my door. Like, you know, he's got some real assets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have so, a Wisconsin follow-up. Please remind me later, but keep going. I had a couple people in my life that really like, did not want me to quit acting. Uh, Sean Hayes and his partner from Will and Grace and his uh, producing partner, Todd Milner, they had tried to put me in a couple of different shows that they had made and it didn't work out. And so they were really advocates of mine. And uh, I was trying to like get a, a writer's assistant job with them. And at some point during that time, the New Girl audition had come up and... It felt so far away, and I really had mentally checked out at that point and quit, which worked to my advantage because um, I, I I was putting for the first time literally nothing on it. And no, it's amazing it, how often you'll hear stuff like that. Like once yeah. you remove the pressure, I know it's impossible to say, "Hey, person that has nothing going on right now, remove all the pressure from your life." But I always say, like for the people that are on air at ESPN, you never get great until you have that Zen moment of, "Hey, I'm fucking good at this." everybody out of my way. Like, I'm just good and it's going to yeah. work out and I'm not worried about it anymore. The one thing about that audition, I, I remember feeling, well, this is really well written. So I know I can, I know I can really dig in on this. And I also know not only do I not want to do this anymore at acting, but I also will never get this. Zoe Deschanel was attached to it at that point who, you know, was a movie star. Yeah. And it was like, all the, it was, yeah, it was like all the cool kids. This woman, Liz Merriweather, had written the show who had just done a big movie who everybody was like, she's the next thing. And Jake Kasdan was directing it, who is the greatest. Um, and he came from like Undeclared uh, and, uh, and Freaks and Geeks and had a bunch of great movies. And I just was like, oh, there's no way they're going to like hire me for this. So there was zero pressure that I put on myself for this audition and then just went in and I kind of had like a little bit of a fuck you attitude with it. Cause I, cause I knew I could do a really good job with it. Um, and it was just one of those, like you just have a good day. Okay. But as I've heard the story told maybe from you is that you're, you're fired up. You're like, all right, I can nail this. I love all the different parts and it's a really well-written show. It's perfectly like quirky, 
but originally funny. It's not like cliche layup sitcom stuff that we'll see in some other things, but then it has this, this ensemble that kind of plays off each other perfectly. Like it would be the goal of all of these, these comedies to have all these characters that work with each other. Like I like that it's goofy in the right parts and it kind of snakes back to like being something with a heart that actually feels a little bit more sincere. So you're right. It's, it's incredibly well-written. It's a really good idea, concept. All of it works out great. But when you read for them, you felt like they weren't interested at all, right? No, I just, I put that on it myself. Okay. All I'm right. Just going in, I go, oh, well, they'll, you know, they'll cast some known actor, you know, what some known TV actor who will come in and do a great job and whatever. Yeah. And I just didn't think I had the resume for it. And they're like, oh, well, maybe. I, I really, I didn't know. Did you not thought. believe your agent though? When your agent was like, no, they really liked you because I know that I had to like learn some of that. So the agent is never going to say, Hey, you suck. No, and they don't I, have like a good, you. I have a good gauge on it. After I read, I was like, I, I felt really good and you can feel the response in the room and they were into it and it felt like the right rhythm and tone. And I went, Oh, okay. That went really well. I don't know that I'll get it, but. Ugh. I hate that my hopes are up right now. <laughs> and then they called and they said, and it's usually not like they really liked you. At that point, there are next steps. So you go in and they're like, okay, well now they want to test you. And then they have to put a test deal in place. And then you have to like audition again and again, you know, for studio and then network. And then eventually at some point you hope you get a phone call that either lets you off the hook that goes, actually they've hired somebody else or you got the job. Do you have different, well, this was a different approach of the read because of the life situation altogether. I think those of us on the outside of it will hear about these stories, like the Margot Robbie slapping DiCaprio in the face, reading for Wolf of Wall Street. It's like, oh, that was amazing. And then I can't imagine how many actresses are just around Hollywood slapping people left and right because you heard this story. During during a (laughs) shitty audition. Yeah, like the worst ever. You didn't have to fucking slap me in the... God, that This is a Nickelodeon show. What are you doing? So (laughs) after that, you have this incredible run. It's, it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's your moment, right? It's your early moment in your career where you, probably you're just thinking of yourself differently and the industry is looking at you differently. I mean, is that, that has to be fair to say, right? That I think is a really hard thing to get a realistic grasp on of how the industry is looking at you. Um, so I never really thought about it that way. I, the goal was always to be on a network TV show for me. There wasn't anything grander than that. Um, and as you get beat up over time, you know, over a decade, you go from, oh, I'm going to be in Goodwill Hunting. You know, we're going to write it. It's going to be great. It's, you know, <laughs> and then slowly over time, you're like, okay, maybe not Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> you know, we'll do this. And then by the end of it, you're like, man, I just, can I be like the fucking eighth guy on CSI who's just as like, there was, you know, whatever. You can, in you can only see him on the DVD. Yeah. It was like, like for the widescreen. Like on a fucking computer, just like, you know. Um, I checked the sample, they're negative. And you're like, no, it's a paycheck. It's fine. <laughs> so you were I've really got, believe your parents are telling you how believable it was that the samples were negative. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, you're like, and then so so New Girl does really well. And I felt like I had exceeded all expectations to such a degree. Um that I was I was so 
happy and and satisfied and and the, and the game plan at that point was you're on a show this show is wonder it's a wonderful experience it it also happens to be really well respected and you know the people involved are great um try to in your hiatuses do stuff that like even if it's two pages out of the big short stuff you really feel passionately about and people that you really want to work with and people that you're going to learn from um, and just try to get into stuff like that. Um, And that's sort of always been the goal for me Uh, and just enjoy it and keep learning and keep going. I, it's been really interesting. And, you know, I started listening to, I want to say, probably a little bit after, but I got really into uh, NBA free agency right around the time when New Girl was starting to end. We, we thought we were going to end in uh, after the sixth season. The network had come to, to the producers and said, listen, write a finale that you guys will be happy with if this is the end. And they informed us and let us know, let us know that season six might be the end. And we ended up doing season seven. But um, so during that time, you sort of, they gave us a runway to sort of prepare ourselves, which you very rarely have, which was a real gift of like, okay, well, where do I want to go? And how do I want to approach what I looked at (laughs) as free agency? (laughs) <laughs> so you didn't know if you wanted to be difficult, if it was market, um, you know, well, yeah. <laughs> I would like to see a guy demand a trade off of a show. Yeah. You're like it season happened. four. Yeah. Okay. But, what do you have any stories? Well, anytime you see somebody like, I guess the famous one, which is not, you know, like when Catherine Heigl is like, I want off of Grey's Anatomy, you know, it happens and it's an aggressive play, man. <laughs> People? Right, because I imagine like studios, they're not going to forget that kind of stuff. Like people you have are, to really, really be able to pull that off. People are not appreciative of that move, man. <laughs> I just don't know if this podcast isn't a warning to the neighborhood, I hope. No, God, no, no way. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> but the difference is, is, you know, James Harden is potentially going somewhere where there's infrastructure and where he could make an immediate difference. And as an, like, as an actor, you don't have that. You can't say, I'm going to get, I'm going to leave this show and go to another show. I mean, I guess you could, but it it would be ridiculous. But I want to see somebody try it now though. Now that you've brought up the concept, I can't wait. (laughs) Like I went off the neighborhood and uh, I went on that new Ted dance in the mayor show. What kind of leverage do I have there? And by the way, there's a guy in the mirror right now being like, this is bullshit. Like, this is the best role I've ever had. Max Greenfield. Be like, look, I just can do your role better than you. And you're going to have to find shots elsewhere. No, Because the, the mayor's like, Max is awesome. Yeah. Sorry. They would just put me in. They would just put me, find a new place for me. Um, but it really was like, you know, do you want. So as New Girl was starting to end, it became like, well, I know I'm going to get offered a bunch of stuff that's like, you know, Schmidt from New Girl, only as a dad. Yeah, and right, what does right. that look like? And I knew, I definitely knew that I wanted to stay in TV and I wanted to keep going because I like, I like working. I like TV. 
Um, why, why do you like TV more than movies? Uh, I just, I like the steadiness of it. Um, for you to only do movies right now, you're either a massive movie star or you're a different kind of dude. Like you're a real, it's a gypsy lifestyle. You're just moving around. Nothing's ever really set. It's a lot of instability. Um, and, you know, I, I'm married. Uh, I have two kids. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of responsibility there. And I like a balanced lifestyle. So having some of that stability is, is good for me mentally. Um, and, I, and, I, and I like, you know, I, to, the, to the point that I'm able to feed into my ego, I like the fact that I know that I'm capable and good at this job. And I can add to a set. And, you know, I heard, I heard your interview with, uh, I think you were talking about Jay Harrington. Yeah, yeah, from SWAT. Yeah, and you guys were talking about, um, you know, it's like, well, he goes and does the CBS show. And the question became like, well, you know, do you, like, does money become a, 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 a part of that conversation when you go to do a show like that? And for sure it does. But the other part of that conversation is if I really believe that I'm added a value to this, which, you know, coming off a new girl, I felt like I could be in the right situation. You're also then putting yourself in a position to give the network some real confidence in a show that they will then put money into and then you're providing for or you're helping to provide for 150 200 people who work on a set every day and you're helping keeping them employed and so that part i really like about it that like we're all sort of like let's keep this going let's everybody have a fucking good attitude <laughs> and have a good time like each week we're so lucky to do this and you know the neighborhoods now we're in season three and we're doing well and we hope that it goes for a really long time. But that's like, this has been the dream job for us because it really is like the, the multicam. I don't know if you know some about the difference between multicam and, and single cam, but multicam is the greatest gig. Why is it so much better? The hours are incredible. And, and you know, you're probably most days you're sort of in there at nine out at, because you're not reshooting the same stuff over and over again and moving everything yeah, right. You rehearse all week and then you tape, now with you know if you if you pre-tape an episode which we've been doing all year because of covid uh it takes two days and so for the most part you know at least before all this i was taking my kids to school going to work maybe picking them up afterwards getting to see you know my daughter's basketball game after work it's like it's it's the best life and yeah, that- where, and when you're doing new girl you're like i'm there at 6 30 in the morning and I'm home at, you know, 8.30. And you're like, man, I woke up before the kids got up. And I'm home just as they're going down. And I'm like, do I go in the house? Because now it's going to rile them all up. And my wife's going to be pissed because now they're all fired up. And they're supposed to be going to bed. And she almost had them to bed. And you're like, fuck, man, this is a real tough one. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. 
you earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. So when you were navigating, because you actually segued into this perfectly, because, all right, you're a real guy now. You're going to be offered these roles. You like TV. And then anybody that that's an actor would be like, hey, this CBS thing has money behind it. Like you said, like we already kind of know what our season three and our season five is. For those that don't understand, like the first thing that happens to you in television is, okay, cool idea. But, you know, what's season three? What's season five? When everybody starts making way more money. I mean, it's just it's just the reality of the business and how all these things work out. Why do you pick the neighborhood, what what made you pick that and go, okay, this is the role that I want to play after New Girl? Yeah, so back to sort of what we were just talking about, it was like, okay, so do I play the dad or do I look for, and what I was looking for, which was, and which I really think is the only way to do specifically network television, is a strong ensemble. And then like, let someone build a team and then come in and be like, yeah, I want to be on that team. Um, and that's why I talk so much. That's why I thought so much about free agency, which is like, it reminded me so much of like Durant. Yeah, you know, that's when, exactly what I was thinking about here. Right. I mean, when Durant first went, my initial thought was, what? And then as I sort of like found myself in this situation, because it's so funny when you're young and you see these guys and they're moving teams, you're like this wait, what? And then you go crazy. And then you find yourself in a real situation where you're like, well, what do I want my life to look like? You know, I've been doing this for a really long time. I'm good at it. Like, what do I want my life to look like? And I think you got Durant. I mean, this is, this is me just, <laughs> this is me pretending that I'm right. on your other podcast, but I'm like, you know, look, Russ, I love the guy, you know, he's a good dude. What I like, ton of respect for him, but man, it's tough to play with him. I just can't do it. And then I'm like looking at this other situation. They got up in Golden State. Man, those guys are having so much fun. It looks awesome. I want to be a part of that. Like, I want to have fun again. And I can play the way that I want to play. I want to do. And then all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, this makes sense. Jerry West is talking to me. This is great. And then he ends up in Golden State. And for me, it was like, yeah, you know, you want to be in a place where your days are great. And you're with people who are like-minded. And you, I, look, I was in a, in a real unique situation where they had come to me in the neighborhood and they, they had offered me the show. And at that point, um, nobody else was attached. And the show was about a white guy who moved into a black neighborhood. And at that point, all the people that involved were involved were all white. Albeit that it was Jimmy Burroughs was directing, who's, you know, the greatest. Huh. But I was like, you need, you need to find some black people and be in this show. Like, you don't need another white person. and. Uh, and then I heard they had gotten Cedric, uh, the entertainer and Cedric, funny enough, 
uh, had done a show with Todd, Todd, uh, Todd Milner and Sean Hayes, mm-hmm. who I talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. So I knew them well, and they knew, and they had worked with Cedric uh, on Soul Man, and loved him. And I had always heard how great he was and how involved he was. So I knew how important he was going to be to the process. But I, I, but I still was like, I don't know. I passed on this. I don't know. And so, because they had come to me and offered it to me, uh, I think two more times. And finally, they called me and they said, okay, we shot the pilot. We're going to pick it up. But we're going to replace the guy in it. And we're offering it to you one last time. And so you got, I got to do something that an actor really never gets to do, which is I got to watch the pilot. Um, and I got to see everything that was there and I got to see the sets and I got to see the wardrobe and I got to see the cast and I got to see like what the feel of this thing was. And I went, Ooh, and I liked a lot of what I saw and I liked, you know, Cedric, Cedric, I knew, and I knew how wonderful he was and he was great. They had to cast Tashina Arnold from Martin, um, and, uh, Everybody hates Chris and Tashina is lights out. She's so good. And I went, oh man. And their chemistry is so good together. And I was like, man. Cedric's is- kind of awesome every time he does something. Like, and not right. that this is breaking news to anybody, but I think there's a lot of comedians that once they go ahead and do like the sitcom role, it's sort of a struggle. Or it's like, hey, I'm doing my stand-up routine around 22 minutes of other people trying to figure out how to play with me. And he just has a thing about him that I've always thought is really funny. And it actually works perfectly in a sitcom. Yeah, and he also is a producer on the show, so he's very involved in the storytelling and the writing. And so having that, I thought, was instrumental to everything. And so when I met with those guys, I was like, Cedric, are you going to be involved? And he was like, yeah, yeah, man. And I go, okay, great, let's do it. And But it really felt like... So he was the Curry and you were the Durant. Well, I never... The one thing that I knew going into that show, I was like, I'm the white guy on this show. There will be episodes where I'm just Urkel popping up from next door, like, hey. Oh, guys. yeah. No, no. There's definitely some and, truth to that. Anybody that's, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'll never get any credit for this show. Don't need it. And this show is so much about these relationships, but it really is, to me, what's been so important about it and what's so wonderful about the show is I don't know when the last time. CBS had a network sitcom that was that had a a that had that represented a black family. Um and that's on TV every week now. And it's awesome. Okay, so here's here's something else that I I wanted to touch on here. Um when you were talking about like figuring out Dave in the neighborhood, you were really descriptive. You're like, I wanted to be able to explore all these. Is that a rule that actors, actresses have to make it sound way more complicated? Wait, what was the question? (laughs) There isn't really much of a question here. I'm making it. I've noticed that whenever actors, like I remember one time, like, you know, when you're stuck in a hotel and you're like, you turn the TV on and immediately goes to the advertisement for like all of the stuff. You know, it's like whatever movie and it's these long, they're not even junkets, but they sort of are. It's like a big trailer. You turn on the hotel TV, yeah, yeah, immediately yeah, yeah. it's advertising a movie, right? Yeah, it's, and Mario, was, Lo- it's Mario Lopez. It's Mario Lopez telling you to buy some bracelets downstairs in the lobby. And good then dude, he's, by the way. Good yeah. boxer. 
Well, anyway. yeah, Carissa, uh, my fr- good friend Carissa worked on Extra with him forever. So got all the Lopez stuff down. So well, then, you know, you'll be like, what's going on? And then there was an actress on one time. She's like, I just think that this movie speaks to the role of family in today's day in the dynamic of that it's nuclear and that it's challenging, but at the same time and like whatever, and on and on and on. And I'm turning around and be like, holy shit, what movie is this? This is heavy. Like what's going on? And it was a movie about like a kangaroo being a pet. And so I thought, all right, yeah, you're really overselling that there a little bit. So I've noticed that actors, when they'll talk about roles, it's like, I wanted to be able to just inject my mind into the person. And you're like, I don't know, man. Like, you're, ah, you know, like this yeah, is. Well, that's why I say, like, look, I, I was like, man, there's going to be some episodes where I'm just, I'm the white guy showing up from next door. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm the punchline in all of this. And line. there we go. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of that. And you know what? Great. Awesome. And like, and you know what? When I have to do those scenes, there's not a lot of thought that goes through it. It's just have fun and be there. Perfect. Um, see, I, I like that. You know, it's just great. Like the next one you have to do, be like, what did you see of this role? You're like, it was going to be really easy. Like I was going to be able to just do this. I'm not saying this one is, but no. I feel like I feel like there's this there's a, a, an acceptance that I have to make this sound so complicated playing a role, and everybody just sits back in awe. And I just I I had that epiphany that day in the hotel where I was like, they're talking about a kangaroo being a pet. Like, this isn't that big of a deal. Yeah, got it. The king. Those are tough to do, man. <laughs> All right, last last couple things here. There was a show. I don't know if I want to do this because I know I'm not supposed to. My agents always get pissed at me whenever I like tell revealing stories about my pursuit of you know some of the stuff that I'm doing and moving out here. But there's a show that you were on very briefly, and I met with the showrunner to potentially write for the show. Well, you're a writer. Yeah, that's you know we know this as you're a Simmons listener, um, and Bill loves telling that joke over and over and over again. So, I my really, I, I honestly, <laughs> your name is blocking the end of the pen, and I thought you were vaping for a second. No, no, no. <laughs> this guy's really loose. What's and going I was on like, here? All right, man. <laughs> no, so <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know how much I want. I might just tell you because fuck it. Because it was just a funny story. And it was like one of the first times I'd moved out here. And so, you know, the agents had gone over some of the pilots that I'd written in. Um, he was. They were like, this is the strongest one that you have. I go, okay, look, this is your business. This is your world. If you think this is the strongest one, this is the strongest one. So they're like, eh, there's this show that's going to be on soon. It did get picked up. And the showrunner wants to meet with you. And we're going to just do a, you know, over the phone. All right. And I was like, yeah, all right, no problem, no problem. So I'm kind of like, this is interesting. You know, this is really interesting. Like, I'll see how this goes. And it's a little different for me because I'm very settled into the sports part of this. I actually didn't expect to be doing this this much in sports uh, once I moved out here, but I'm in a good spot, so I'm not going to complain about it. Every, everything's terrific on that sense. But it was not being 25 and hoping this is my big break. It was like, let me just kind of sit back and see what happens. And this gets back to like sometimes revealing the, these industries and how you can be like, are you fucking serious? So we're going through it, and the guy's like, yeah, hey, this is the show. And I was like, yep, yep, got it. I was like, I, I got some of the research on it. This is really interesting. We're going back and forth. And he's like, I read your stuff. Really funny, really funny. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And he's like, all right, you know, we're going to go over this stuff. We're going to meet with the rest of the people, figure out how we're going to staff this show, but we'll get back to you. The pilot I wrote was a drama about a company offering an alternative to suicide. It was the least funny thing I'd ever, like, it, it's not even, there's not one joke in any of the 60 fucking pages. And, <laughs> I'm sitting here on this conference call with a guy trying to talk about like how or what I would or wouldn't bring with a non-traditional background to a writer's room. 
And he's like, you're really funny, man. Really funny. I didn't, I haven't written anything funny. Nothing like there's, there's nothing that I've been writing. That's ever been funny. And I just was like, this is perfect. Like welcome to town. You know, we should do a special episode of your podcast where we have a reading of that suicide <laughs> show. We're trying to make know. it funny. Or not, or whatever. We'll just let the words speak for it. We'll like we'll let the words do the work. And we'll cast it up, and it'll be wonderful. And I think, you know, may, maybe it has a second life. No pun. Yeah, if Zoe <laughs> wants to just jump on a Zoom. I'll call her, her right now. Let her know. Yeah. Is it a female great. lead? Uh, the female lead's the best character. I'll let her know. There you go. Perfect. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Because this is great. I have a couple questions. Okay, perfect. I've gotten the sense throughout this entire thing that you kind of want you have directions that you want to explore. So go ahead. I, I, I didn't know. I did no prep. Um, I, I tried to do some prep and then I said, this is a waste of time. I can't do it. My brain doesn't work this way. <laughs> uh, this is also for Kyle. I actually have two questions that, that sort of involve Kyle. Um, the first one is there sports center on Instagram plays like, you know, puts up these highlight clips or whatever. On skates. And, yeah. And, and, and so some of them are funny and some of them are sport, whatever. So there's one where there's a guy during a Celtics game and he's dancing in the audience to some Bon Jovi song and really takes it to an 11. The skinny kid. And then he runs down the like, aisle. Yeah. Yeah. Dad in the bottom. I don't think Dr. Bill's seats are up there. Yeah. That was him. Oh, it that is him, right. Yeah, you can see him there. Oh it's, my gosh, it's incredible, man! <laughs> I watched it and I went, "Is that soon as that?" And his the look on his face—it's like it, it goes from. I don't know what this is going on, but I understand why it's amusing. To then, if he comes any closer, we might have to do something. <laughs> And it really, I like, cause they, they repost a lot of stuff. And the second time I watched it, I went, oh yeah, there you go. Anyway, now that I have confirmation, I feel happy. The other question, uh, I, when I was listening to, I remember listening to you guys and there was talk, like Kyle had fallen off a lime scooter. Did you have, a scooter? Did you have a scooter yeah. accident? Yeah, I have a car now, but it was, uh, yeah, I did. I broke my pinky actually on my way to work. Okay, good. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I, it was good. Like, <laughs> Just well, a confirmation of the story you mean, or that he got hurt? No, 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 like confirmation of the story. Right. Also that he has a car, which is important. Um, but that story sort of like lingered like the Russians in Sopranos. It just never, it was like, oh, Kyle got into a big accident. That was your own personal Pine Barrens with Kyle. I thought like, about what? it once a week. I was like, we're never going to revisit this. What was the extent of the accident? <laughs> that is brilliant, by the way, that you connected it to that soprano scene. Like, when is that guy showing back up? It's been four <laughs> years. What's going on? <laughs> Kyle, do you have anything to add? I didn't know. I don't. I know that there's a Bon Jovi one. There's an older one, Kyle. Are there different Bon Jovi ones? Because I thought there was another one that was towards the balcony and freaking out. Um, I didn't know that Dr. Bill was, was in that one or it's, it's too, well, he worked ones. his way all the way down. He started up yeah. and he worked his way down. Oh, uh, okay. Cause Dr. Bill's almost center court there. Just a few rows up like eight or eight. Well, maybe I shouldn't give out his exact seat location in case. Well, you can find it on the video. Yeah. Um, maybe you cut this out. 
<laughs> no, no, that's fine. I like we keep the mistakes in. Um, yeah, man, this was awesome. I, I again, I'm such a big fan. I thought, what was the plan always for you to get your own pod with Bill? Yeah. Um, you know, the plan when I left ESPN, I didn't even think I'd resign there, and then I resigned once I moved here. So I was like, all right, and then there was a chance that I was still going to stay and then do both. And then, you know, Bill was like, let's just figure something out here. And, it, and it's really, I've been lucky, you know, it's, it's worked out, but I moved out here to, to pursue the other stuff that we were talking about. I mean, that's been the goal since day one. So I know, but yeah. like, I think one, there's no, there's the plans never work. Yeah. And, right. I mean, the plan's gone well, not working so far. So that's, yeah, yeah I'm lucky. I thought the way that you were rolled out on that show into this show was so well done. I remember at one point you were like, you did, I think you were doing um, Stephen A's show and it was like the talking heads thing. And at that point I got to know you so well from Simmons show and, and was like, this guy's fucking hilarious. Um, and then watched you jump in to the talking heads thing. And I was like, how do these guys don't get it? Get, what, what are they for? <laughs> well, it's tough to go on. I'm not even knocking on the guy because I've always got along with Stephen A and Max. But when no, you go no, on. It was, it was not a knock on them. I was just like, it felt so uncomfortable for me because I was watching <laughs> it. I know which one it was, too. Because it was like the last time I was on. And I, I was like, are you guys serious? And then I just sort of went. Because when you go on, one guy goes five minutes and then the other guy goes five minutes. And I said to the producer one time, I go, I don't give a shit if it's me. I go, but when you have like Snoop Dogg as a fucking guest, it's weird when the show starts with two five minute monologues from the guys. And then there's like a really important guy sitting there for 12 fucking minutes. Like, that's kind of weird, don't you think? And then they took it as me complaining about my situation. I was like, no, my point is simply like, it's a weird dynamic that like those guys have a million other segments where they go back and forth. I mean, you know, they'd be like, all right, who are you? you know, president elect Biden here, be like, all right, the first thing about this bucks bench and Biden would just be sitting there. And then Kellerman would say, you know, I think it's great Kyrie. You know, if Kyrie doesn't want to play this season, I'm on team Kyrie's side. And then they'd be like, okay, Joe Biden's here. And he'd be sitting there and be like, they have to wake him up. So uh, it had to have been that episode because there was one specific episode where a bunch of people reached out to me after the fact. They were like, you were awesome, but no one else got what you did. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, you know, I'm just, I've been here 13, 14 years. It's, it's not a big deal. Well, just you in long form. And it was, again, it, the transition was really great because you was the number, you playing two to Bill allowed you to be the punchline guy. And I mean, just, I could listen to you referencing Lori Markenden into some sort of Game of Thrones reference. I mean, literally forever. Throne Corner was, was really popular. It was, it was popular, so. Yeah, and then, and then now you have in your own pod, it was like, a, okay, well now I got to transition into Ryan doing lead on this. And it's been really fun, man. And I think like you have some runs on that show, on your show, on this show, where, you know, look, I know you're a writer, but yes, man, you transitioned some of those monologues into whatever story you're telling. Any actor would be like, I don't care what this show is. If I get to do that monologue, I'm in. 
Wow, that means a lot, man. I have a big smile on my face because that's just a very specific thing. And it's, it's you know what I mean? There's compliments. You and that's write, such a specific thing. Yeah. You should write a show about the college football playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what's season three? Alabama's in it again? Yeah, you're like, yeah, you're like, yeah it's just Alabama. <laughs> Let's uh, let's let's check in again, man. Let's do this again at some point. All right. I would lo- I would love to whenever you want, man. All right. Thanks, Max. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, Kyle. We got life advice coming up here. A couple good ones. Listen up, football fans. I've got the perfect way to make the playoffs even more exciting this weekend. It's called the same game parlay bet, and they're only available on FanDuel Sportsbook. A same game parlay bet lets you combine multiple bets from a single game for even a bigger win during round two. You can combine the money line, the over-under, the player props, all in one parlay. And best of all, FanDuel is letting you protect your parlay. That's right. You can place a three-plus same game parlay and get up to $25 back if you fall one leg short with same game parlay and Insurance. The playoffs are the perfect time to give one a shot, and it's just one of the many ways to win on FanDuel. FanDuel Sportsbook is easy to register, easy to deposit, easy to find your bet. Fast withdrawals. When you win, FanDuel pays your winnings in as little as 24 hours. They have odds boosts and specials every day and some super big boosts each weekend. If you haven't already, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up to get started and use my promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. It's sign up. If you're a current customer, then you're all set. Go check out the same game parlays only available on FanDuel Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, and Tennessee. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Okay, we got one here. Uh, oh, that was funny. You seem, oh, appreciate you being a cool and relatable guy, as well as your masterful use of the word fuck. I do swear a lot. Um, and it's weird because I wouldn't say like, hey, it's cool. I, I don't know what happened. I used to never, and then I did. I think working in the service industry, bartending, waiting, chefs, it's just rules that you have to start swearing all the time. Um, as far as being on the air, I don't want to jinx myself here, but you know, at ESPN hosted like it never once. I think there was one time I almost said shit. Um, I think I almost said it. Oh, you know what it was? I we started into the Boston accent thing Van Pelt and I used to do, and whenever I got into that, all I could do was swear. And so I almost did it live where I was about to say something. And then I was like, oh my God, I almost just swore in the air. But the difference is, is okay, say you're a guy and you're meeting a girl's parents. You don't walk into the house and be like, this place is fucking sweet. You know, like I would imagine enough of you have some self-register that you figure that out. And that's kind of the way it works on the air. But when I first, first started, I was actually kind of nervous about it. I was like, what if I, what if I swear? But now I've been dropping in a few here and there. I didn't mean to, I wasn't like I wanted to, but I think every now and the word you Every now and then, just to make your point, you have to say fuck. I, I strongly believe that. So I, I'm sorry for some of the people with kids that have people in the car. I've gotten a few complaints. I get it. But, um, you know, I'm just trying to be me, man. It loosens the guests up sometimes on air. Like sometimes they'll be like, oh, am I allowed to say fuck? You're like, it's cool. And they're like, oh, all right, all right, you're cool. I'm cool. I think I did it a little bit too much at the beginning, but I wasn't doing it to be like, oh, I'm so free now. Now I can swear. Like, finally reach my lifelong goal of being able to swear in the air, but to never do it 
I mean, I could do a whole podcast without doing it, but I think especially in the life advice ones, you have to kind of do it. So uh, to, to hammer the point, I remember um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, right? Elaine Seinfeld, um, Veep also, aka Veep. She was doing, I think, the Larry David special. And the idea was that all of a sudden they were going to do some show for HBO. It was like a whole spoof in the fact that the show was already on HBO. I don't know if it was Curb or if I don't know if it was that Larry David special that was kind of like the beginning of Curb. And Elaine shows up and they're pitching her a show. And it's like, what's what's the new show going to be? And Elaine, the real character, Louise Drives, was like, I just want to say fuck. And it was really funny. I always thought that was that was hysterical the way she did that. All right. So anyway, okay, here's the deal. Our guy, 27, living in Austin, recently just ended a four-year relationship. No hard feelings, nothing messy. We just grew apart and realized we weren't right for each other. We met early on in our move out to Austin, spent most of our time together. So we didn't exactly reach out, make a ton of other friends along the way. How do you make friends at 27 anyway? Question for another day, I guess. Exactly. I agree with you. When I see friends of mine, I think guys have a much harder time with it than women do, but you move to a new town and you're like, what am I just going to be like friends with this guy now? We're, we're 40. You know, I know when you have kids, you kind of have these situations where maybe you meet great new friends because they're parents of your daughter's best friend and that kind of stuff. And then there's a lot of stress in that though. Cause it's like, Hey, look, our kids are going to be in school together for a long time. And if you guys suck, I don't want to pretend like we're going to be buddies the whole time. So that's, that's a really dicey thing. College, you just ignore dudes or you just move away after college. But then it's weird. Cause then you're friends with somebody new at 40 and you're like, this guy doesn't really know anything about me. How weird does this guy get at 40? You know? And then if he gets too weird, you're like, that's too weird for me. I'm 40. Um, I personally always feel like eventually somebody's going to ask me for a big favor. So I'm like, eh, I don't want to do that. I've not done a good job in my life making new friends in new places. Really bad at it, actually. All right. So I hear you on that one. That's not what you're calling about. We live together and um, don't have our separate ways to go. Okay. Don't have our separate ways to go. Plus, the financial convenience of living together seems worth capitalizing on. We agreed to stay friends, classic, and had a long talk about living together, how it didn't have to be weird as long as we were both honest. Um when we needed space or how we were feeling about everything. Sex wasn't the highlight of our time together. Okay. So I'm looking to make up for lost time in a city full of beautiful women. Started ramping up workouts, dieting, and signed up for one of those wardrobe box subscriptions. This guy is back in a big way. Texas (laughs) is back. This guy is back. Uh, Basically getting back into game shape. I obviously can't bring girls to the house and do the old sock on the door routine. Gal knows what that's about. I don't see a way to text and say, quote, can you feed my dog? I won't be home tonight. The struggle is wanting to be considerate of her feelings, but wanting to get out there and knock some boots. What advice do you have for a newly single guy living with his ex? Uh, My advice would be fucking move. Are you kidding? This is the worst. Why why do people do this? (laughs) Yes, I understand the financial convenience. Be less convenient about your situation inconvenience yourself <laughs> this is this is you know i i get it you know you're worried about it you know but this is going to suck this is going to suck this isn't going to work all right and it sounds like you're way over it you could say she's one of it one of you is less over it than the other one okay those are the rules and the other part of this that's actually kind of fucked up is all right so we broke up and now you're going to start it's going to be hot girl summer for you you know ramping up workouts dieting signed up for a virtual box subscription be like hey do you mind checking out this v-neck 
Look at this cardigan I'm going to rock. Yeah, I didn't want to wear any of this stuff. I didn't work out when we were together. I didn't diet. But man, I'm single and I'm going to look awesome now. And you're going to see it all because you're living with me. There is going to be a moment where this is going to be bad. Okay? There is going to be a moment. If you are both mature enough where you can bring someone home and have that girl stay over while your ex-girlfriend is living there, then you guys are the most mature weirdos ever we're going to like raise their kids not allowed to watch tv until he's 18 and like whenever anybody comes and visits your kid your kid's going to be like talking circles around him because he's a genius so i already know what's going like if you actually are the couple that is mature and you're an ex-couple mature enough to pull this off then you need a tv show you need to be writing books about being mature i could never do this and not even like the girl okay i, I wouldn't ever want to do this ever that I'm making that very, very clear, but she's going to get pissed at you or you're going to get pissed at her at some point, or maybe you're not, maybe you're not, but then you still have already pointed out all the inconveniences. So the fact that you're like, Hey, I can't really text her this, or I can't do this deal. Um, I don't know, man. I, even if you think you guys are totally on the same page, you probably aren't. Even if you are that mature and there is nothing, there's 0% feelings about the other person whatsoever. Here's the other part though. Every girl that you're going to want to bring home, even if it's cool, okay, even if it's worked out, this new girl likes you, the the old one is is living there and she's paying half her bills and she's not ordering too many movies and she's nice enough to maybe get sushi and offer you some, all that stuff's cool. The new girls that you're going to be meeting are going to be like, are you fucking nuts? You live with your ex like this? And every one of those girls is going to go, oh, this is awkward. And then they're going to tell their friends, be like, I don't know what the deal is. And then her friends are going to tell the new girl, fuck that guy. Like he's still living with his ex-girlfriend. So yeah, man, I hope you're month to month on that. Lease. Yeah. Zillow. My advice to you is Zillow.com. If your situation is like the plot of a sitcom, you should probably get out of it. There you go. Exactly. Kyle. What sitcom did that most remind you of? I don't know. It just seemed like something that I would, see a preview for towards the end of a football game or something yeah no it does coming up <laughs> coming up this thursday the new hit sitcom messing with texas <laughs> that sounded like a genuine laugh i just made that up on the spot kyle because i'm a writer that's why i stick around thanks bud <laughs> um Okay, we have a work one here. This one's difficult. Hey, guys, to get right to it. Been working in the same publishing company since I graduated college in 2000, so 20 years in. Risen through the ranks. I'm now the GM and right-hand man of my boss who owns a company. I love my job. Get paid well enough for what I do. Um, this isn't a field you get rich in, um, but he does have the autonomy to come and go as he pleases. Since my boss knows, I will get all my work done. I get days off when I want, show up when I want, leave when I want. You get the idea. It's pretty cushy. Um, the problem is my boss's son. So that's great. You know, I was, I was, even though the construction thing was, uh, was not the easiest thing I did like working outside and I was fine with it. And if I had had a career as, as a GC, I would have been, I would have been happy. I would have been totally content with it. I would have liked it actually. I've thought about doing it on the side, um, now, but what I loved <laughs> about it, the part that I, I leave out, cause I, you know, whenever I tell the construction stuff, I make it sound like it's a sad and it wasn't, I, I make it money. I like being outside, learn some skills, but did want to get a truck with a sick lumber rack, but couldn't afford it. Still kind of want one. Don't have a ton of lumber to haul around though. So it seems a tad excessive. Probably still do it though. The being able to, Hey, I need tomorrow off or 
you know, I mean, look, if it's a big project and they're, they're putting up, you know, a beam, you got to be there, but you get the point like, Hey dad, you know, I'm out, I'm, I'm going away, going to Red Sox game or something like that. Like there's, there's some real joy in the autonomous career path if you can find a way to do it. Okay. So that's not really what this is about. Several years ago, my boss hired his son and his son's wife to work for the company. Neither had any experience in publishing in the fields they're hired to work in. But for a part, the wife's actually become a very valuable employee and deserves every penny she makes. The son is another story. I resented him almost immediately because he was being paid nearly what it took me 20 years to start making. Yep. Sucks, but it's the, it's the owner's son. So you already know that I could live with it. If he actually earned that pay, in the time he's worked here, if anything, he's regressed. He's begun refusing work projects, always claiming he's too busy. It's a running joke around the office now because everyone knows he does the least amount of work here and it's not even close. This has started to affect me because when he refuses work, my boss assigns it to me. In fact, there was one job the son was supposed to do, kept putting it off. He works graphic design. I wasn't in the office at the time, but when my boss approached him about the job for the third time, the son blew up and threw a fit and even cursed his dad, who again is my boss. Anyone else does that, they're fired on the spot. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're even asking me these questions, um, you already know the answers to these, right? Okay. So yeah, yeah, he didn't fire his kid. Shocker. All right. Get back to the office. My boss told me that his son was vehement. He wasn't going to do the job. And my boss had hoped um, that I would be able to find the time to do it. I learned later about the blow up from other coworkers. This finally set me off. And I explained to my boss that I was also very busy and didn't have time to do his son's work all the time. The boss told me that his son was having emotional problems. It gets pretty heavy here. Um, he said he hates the job and gave me a bunch of more excuses as to why his son shouldn't have to do this work. As you can see, I have a lot going on here. So the father backed the son, even though the son yelled at his dad in front of coworkers and he's just hoping you get the project done. So our man says, this is going to sound very conceited, but if I didn't work here, the place would collapse. I do most of the work. I do things nobody else even knows or cares to learn how to do. I do other smaller things around here. My boss probably doesn't even know I do. Every employee who has come here to work here or left since my boss hired his son always says the same thing about him. He's lazy. I asked my boss why his son doesn't quit if he's so miserable here, and he says um, he doesn't have anywhere else to go. He would just be miserable anywhere he worked, et cetera. I think the truth is he knows he can do next to no work and ride dad's. Of course he knows. He stays there because he can get away with doing this because he couldn't do it anywhere else. It's exactly like you already know all these things. You're smart. He's clearly never going to fire him no matter what he does. If I'm going to do the work of two people, I want to be paid like two people. I also don't enjoy the inference that I sit on my thumb all day because apparently people can just pile an endless amount of work on me as if I'm not busy. It's like I'm punished for being efficient and good at my job. I'm also worried about me and my coworkers' safety. I've long thought there was something off about his son and his blow-ups and mannerisms make me think I'm onto something. He doesn't talk to anybody but himself. You try to engage him. You get one-word answers or no answer at all. I don't want to quit this job, and I don't think the son is ever going to leave. Um, I know there's lots of work out there. What do you think? Okay, well, it sounds like you're going to find a new job. Um, you know, it's it's cool that you get days off, but what about all the other days you're there and it sucks? So it's it's the nepotism thing. Like this is beyond nepotism. We've talked about nepotism before in the spot, but the kid isn't going anywhere. The father is bought in um totally that you know, he he cares like there's a there's an element of the father-son here thing that I don't know that you maybe you get or maybe you don't get, but if the son is having some problems even with the wife and he thinks this is the best way to cover for him. Like clearly the dad cares more about his son than all of his employees situation. Like if this kid just is a daily deal where he sucks all the time, he has prioritized 
trying to make his son not even happy, but just baseline content. It doesn't even sound like he's content. That is what he's prioritizing. And so you can do one of two things. I mean, you can you can go to the boss again. Like, look, even if he paid you more, is that really a solution to it? Because it's going to be great when you get that money and you're going to think, oh, this is awesome. I'm getting a little bit of money. And then it all just sort of goes away because as soon as you're getting paid, whatever you're getting paid, you never have a moment where you're getting paid where you're like, you know what? I'm getting paid too much. Like, this is great. <laughs> we can pay too much. I, I don't deserve this. I mean, look, there's always exceptions, but a lot of times you'll just start thinking, okay, now I'm being paid the money that I'm owed. And then you're going to start at zero again because you're just going to be mad about the kid. You're going to be mad about the kid and all of these things because the money eventually, it's not going to matter to you. You're not going to be thick, sitting there every two weeks looking at the direct deposit going, I'm mad at the kid. I'm mad at the kid. I can't believe this dad. I can't believe he's doing this with the son. He's, oh, hey, look at my direct deposit. You're just going to get numb to the direct deposit and you're going to feel good about it. So even if the boss gives you this raise, it doesn't solve your bigger problem here. So, um, you know, or you're just going to have to suck it up, which you don't want to. You clearly don't want to. So I would go to the boss again and say, hey, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. But don't do it until you have something else lined up. That's what I would do. I would work on. Um, you can start saying no to some stuff, too. I mean, that's always that's always weird. How many people have, you know, people listening now that have been at the workplace and the first time you're like, yeah, actually, I don't have time for that because people will take advantage of you. People are taking advantage of you. You're letting it happen. They're dumping all these extra projects on you. and You've said yes to them. So start saying no to a bunch of them. Just go, hey, no, no. Not like maybe no, just straight up. Yeah, I can't do it, not doing it. Don't put it on my desk. I don't want to deal with this. But I would put, I would do a little me time once a week where you start exploring other opportunities. Because if you are this good at this and you've been at the same place for 20 years in an industry that sounds like there's probably not a ton of people entering this workforce, I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, you may be incredibly more valuable. And instead of all of this stuff being a negative, you like, thank God that kid shows up because now it forces me to be motivated to get the fuck out of there. And look at this. Now I found an even better working situation. So the extra money is not, it, it's not even temporary to solving this problem because it doesn't solve the fundamental problem with the kid works there. The kid's still there. You're going to hate it. And it's not going to matter how much money you're making. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Okay, big uh, football pod coming up on Friday. Chris Long, Friday. Chris Long, Friday, finally doing it this season. And um, make sure you subscribe, tell your friends. And again, the basketball part, check it out with Bill and I from this week. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.